right, everybody. Welcome to the first, the inaugural Two Beats Off podcast. My name's Justin, and we've got regular co-host Steven Sensenig. How are you now? Hi, Steven. Good and you? Not so And bad. we've got potential full-time co-host, trial period co-host, probationary period co-host, TJ Lafreda. Say hi, oh, TJ. I hope I'm funny. That was dumb. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. But the odds aren't looking good. Yeah. What are we talking about first? What you got? I don't know, fellas. Um, so this is the interview that we have today is Keith Leighton from Empire Empire. I was a lonely estate, uh, a broken up band. Most in, will be. Most will be <laughs> an emo band, <laughs> a rock and roll outfit. Uh, you want to tell them how we know Keith? Yeah. Do you remember the first time you met Keith? Was it that show in uh, Flint, Michigan? The ever politicized Flint, Michigan? I don't know if that was the first time. Was that the first time we played with them? I think it was the first time we played with them, the first time we met them, and we stayed at his house. Yeah. I don't think we met him beforehand. Okay, yeah. So uh, we had the tour cancel. Oh, yeah, it all starts with that Doom tour. Do you want to build up to that Doom tour? Right. It well, wasn't It wasn't all Doom, because that's when you told us all that you uh, met and became familiar with your wife. <laughs> I didn't meet her then. I just slept with her for the first time. <laughs> Be cool, bud. I said got familiar with. I was trying to be nice about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I guess backstory, we played in we played played past tense in Reservoir, Justin and I. Uh TJ and I played in a hardcore band called Reignition for a while. Um Justin broke up Reignition so that he could start Reservoir. And Can confirm. Uh, a few years later, Reservoir is just the saddest Reignition ever was. And uh, <laughs> we had to cancel a tour because our van's engine blew out 20 minutes into the drive to the first show. And the other band decided to go on without us. <laughs> we won't get into that too much. Maybe one. Well, we future will. Future episode. Yeah, future yeah. episode. And uh, we were really sad. It was my birthday at at uh, Stogie's, the White Rose, and um, we decided that when we were drunk that we were going to drive the next morning to just Flint, Michigan. Uh, well, like eight hours? -ish. Oh, at least. Yeah, eight hours and play with Empire Empire at a house show. It was really fucking cold, too. Oh, it was super cold, because you guys walked to the liquor store once we got there, right? What else would you do when you get to a show, right, TJ? Yeah. I don't know. Seven years ago, I was still straight edge. I'm not totally sure. <laughs> I was barely not straight edge anymore, I think, at that point. Yeah, I think you were maybe three months removed because you broke right before Fest 10, right? Yeah, I was going hard at that point in my life. <laughs> yeah, I've slowed down since. <laughs> well, I've slowed down a bit. I've slowed nice down. Burn. Nice burn, TJ. Well done. Well played. I am, and I want to give a shout out here to this delicious. Right now, I'm drinking um, Pink Whitney with. Oh, hold on. Wait. It's my sister in law. I got to tell her Kobe Bryant died. Uh oh. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Steven. Hey, did you hear the news? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. I okay. cried at work. You did what? What? You cried at work. Yeah. Oh, okay. Why? I, I don't know. Why is, why is everybody calling me and asking me if I heard the news? 
Because your screen name was a, named after Kobe Bryant. I know my screen name is named after Kobe Bryant, but he's dead. That's true. So is his daughter. Show some respect. I know. I am. Oh, okay. There were other people, too. When I, They're dead now. I want to wear his jersey for a week. Shaq was real broke up about it. Shaq hold on. Let me call Hold on. I hung up on her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're probably gonna cut that. Um, so nope. let's have a t- tasteful, tasteful silence. I just checked Google Maps, Stephen. Uh, Flint, Michigan, is eight hours and nineteen minutes from York, Pennsylvania. Okay, I know my geography. Oh, my shout out! I've got pink lemonade vodka mixed with Sprite tonight. Oh, I've got this uh, Rogue Brewing Company Bat Squatch. The listeners can't see this, but I'm holding it up to the Skype camera. It's got a cool bat on it. That's cool. What you got, TJ? Do I need to have a podcast drink? Yeah, you have a beverage? You got Babu? Yeah, I got a beverage. Hold on. I'm getting... Uh, oh, that's a good topic. TJ's, some, on, uh, TJ's on the move. So it's root beer. You got root beer. Is it IBC? Oh, my God. Lindsay's no. calling me again. Hold Suds on. root beer. Suds root beer. Suds? We need... Okay, here's an idea. We'll get to the Flint story, but... We need to all pick three celebrities that we think are going to die this year, and whoever gets the most right wins a prize. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right, hold on. We already got Kobe down and the Rush guy down. So who who's was the Rush I, guy this year? He was this year, yeah. Neil Peart. Yeah, yeah. he's this year, the seventh, I believe. I got yeah, drunk yeah, enough. Right. I got drunk enough at an axe throwing place that I posted about him. I don't listen to Rush. <laughs> yeah, I think 2020 might be Neil Young's year. Yeah, <laughs> he just got granted. This is a good subject too. He's American citizen now. Finally, really? He got. He made sure he got American citizenship so that he could vote in the upcoming election. Interesting. <laughs> so thought- Neil Young's gonna die before the election. <laughs> oh. <laughs> one, one less vote for Bernie Sanders there, Neil Young. <laughs> that would be great. He got Thanks American citizenship, up, so Neil. Justin could kill him before the election. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Neil Young. That's my one. Hold on. I'll make a list. Are you going to write us all down here? Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I can't think of anyone who's old. Oh, Betty White is old as dirt. Yeah, she's still she's alive. She's remain old as dirt. I don't, I don't see her going this year. That's kind of like Keith Richards. Everyone thinks every year will be Keith Richards' year, but I don't know about that. I could see... Okay, I'm going to throw a bold one. All right. Trump by assassination. You think? That's pretty bold. It's a it bold one, bold. but it's one of my three. Would, huh. it be, uh, would it be too broad of me to say there's probably going to be a SoundCloud rapper that dies? That's a little general. It's broad. Yeah, I think if you pick a SoundCloud rapper. I don't know any SoundCloud rappers. All See I hear that... about them is they die. And rest in peace, he was a legend. See, that's the problem, yeah. though, isn't it? You can't pick like a... I could be like, hey, an acoustic folk rock guy is going to die. And then Neil Young dies, and I didn't really predict him, did I? No. What a, okay, so I got Trump by assassination. We don't have – if okay, can I have a bonus point if it's by assassination and not like a car accident? Yep. Or just, or just a heart attack from all the hamburgers. Yeah. <laughs> is Courtney Love still alive? She is, yeah. I'm going to throw her in there. By assassination? Well, you mean like she assassinated her husband? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So so far, I've got Neil Young. Stephen has got Trump by asso- uh, by association. 
Trump by association, Courtney Love, and TJ's got a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I might uh, scratch that one here. Let me come up with something better. I guess they don't have to be uh, musicians necessarily, although no. we're all kind of gravitating towards that other than Trump, unless he plays a secret instrument. What instrument do you think Trump plays secretly and hasn't told anyone about? Skin French, French horn? <laughs> no, I bet he's a French horn guy. How is he going to play any sort of instrument with hands? <laughs> There's no way. It's got to be like... Are there plays, any foot-based instruments? No way. He plays French horn, but he calls it the freedom horn. <laughs> that was a good callback to freedom fries. Yeah, right? What an era. I'm going to throw... I want. I need to throw in a, non, um, a non-musician. You're right. Okay. Hit me. Did Gordy Howe die yet? Who yeah. is that? Gordy House dead. He died a dead. couple years ago. Okay. You know what I? You know what I just googled, fellas? Old celebrity. Old celebrities. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm googling old celebrities too. I'm gonna throw in the Queen of England. Oh. Old Queenie's going down this year. Old Queenie's her year. <laughs> old Queenie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, TJ. So currently you've got a SoundCloud rapper and old Queenie. <laughs> no, scratch sound scratch sound cloud rapper, but I'll keep old queen. I'm keeping it I'm keeping it there unless you get a third one. I'm I'm Googling uh, old celebrities too. Betty White is ninety six. Yeah, she's gonna live though. She'll make a hundred. All right. She's let me throw this funk. Let me throw this out. What do you guys think about Willie Nelson? I think I mean, he's in there with uh, Keith Richards and Ozzy like unless something weird gets him. Uh, what was Ozzy just diagnosed with, though? Parkinson's. Did that shit kill you? Ah, uh, uh, didn't didn't kill uh, Michael J. Fox. Isn't he oh. dead? Nope. How old do you think Willie Nelson is? Everyone, take a guess. Seventy-six. I'm, I'm look I'm looking at it, so I don't count. Sorry, Stephen. What did you say? Eighty-two. Eighty-six. You both lose. Price oh, is wow. right. Price is right. Rules. <laughs> Wonder how old Ozzy Osbourne is. I think, I don't know. I think he's in his 70s, too. Do you guys know Ozzy Osbourne's real first name? Not Todd. off the top of my head. It is not Todd. He has two first names and a last name. Like, his middle name is also the same as a first name. Wow, he looks so much older than he is. Was he, like, 68 or something? He's 71. 71. So what's the name? What's his name? John Michael Osbourne. Yeah. No wonder he picked Ozzy. John Michael sounds shitty. It's not not metal even a little bit. No. You know, I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say Bob Barker, but I thought he might have already been dead. But yeah. he's on my list of old celebrities, so I don't know what to think now. He's alive. He's alive. I'm putting Bob Barker on there. How old when does you, it say he is? <laughs> when you type his name, it comes up Bob Barker still alive. <laughs> 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 so i got old queenie and bob barker yep and until you think of a third one your third one is a soundcloud rapper all right all right i'm i'm looking at this list here i'll give you a all right steve you've got you've got trump by assassination and courtney love i really want to stray away from musicians but it's the easiest one that's what we know about like an actor or sports sports person don cherry oh all right all right i'm gonna have don cherry sure that's mostly hopeful. 
wishful thinking. <laughs> oh, that's rude as hell, bud. I mean, he's kind of a piece of shit. He's a hockey yeah. fella, right? He's not. He's not kind of a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. He's a hockey fella, right? Yeah. yeah. Barely. Oh, I bet. Um, Jimmy Carter dies this year. It might be Jimmy Carter's year. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put that on my list. I've got Neil Young and Jimmy Carter so far. He was just having some issues lately, wasn't he? I feel like his whole life is an issue because he's out building the houses and he's like 95 years old. Oh, I watched that video of him. He was like, <laughs> "Was that him with a hammer? What you yeah. just did?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's think on it. Um, right. We I got really sidetracked. I feel like that's gonna happen, but um, we drove to Flint. <laughs> so we, dro- <laughs> we drove to Flint. In my hometown of Flint, Michigan. <laughs> the the famous Flint. We went there. We played with Empire Empire. And who else played that? Something, something about a home? Placeholder. Did Home Life play that? No, it wasn't Home Life. It was another home band. Uh, I don't know. It was no. the guy who booked it. It doesn't matter. That's bad, That's bad radio, bud. It's, yeah. Well, welcome Nine to the ago. podcast. <laughs> Two beats off podcast, bad radio. <laughs> <laughs> so we we met Keith there. We played with Empire Empire. It was a blast. We had a lot of fun. And we stayed at his house. Andy, who we all know, also knows the frog, played guitar in Reservoir, was really hungover from my birthday the night before and puked all over his front lawn. And then I think mentioned it to Keith at least four times, like, Keith, uh, I'm... I'm really sorry that I puked in your front lawn. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. Yeah. It, it was Home Life, Stephen. I'm looking at the show archive right now. It was Empire Empire's A Lonely Estate, Placeholder, Making Friends, and Home Life. They couldn't have played that. They did. And the venue was called The Jerk Store, December, <laughs> December 27th, 2011. I'm surprised they didn't make Brandon stay and try and sell him. <laughs> at The Jerk Store? <laughs> 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 Yo, um, you guys are making fun of me because I put the queen on there. She's 92 years old. <laughs> she can get bent. <laughs> well, who's the oldest person alive? I'm gonna pick them. Is somebody on it, or I got it? Yo, I don't, I don't want to say this too loudly, but Mel Brooks is 92, guys. Oh no. What the Passion of the Christ guy? No, no, that's Mel Gibson. Come on, bad radio, dead air, dead air. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Mel Brooks? The oldest, the longest human life. Wait, what? Who's Mel Brooks? He's a filmmaker. Yeah. He made Spaceballs and um, Blazing Saddles. No, nothing? No, never saw All it. right. You're young. I get it. Yeah. Uh, the longest human lifespan is that of Jean Calment of France, 1875 to 1997, who lived to age 122 years, 164 days. Okay, wow. but she's not going to die now because she's already dead. She was till 1997. So my question to you is, would you want to live to 116? No. Oh. No. Um, well, let's talk about um, seeing the Misfits in 2019. I want to know. Uh, I want to know what that's like. You want to know what it was like? Yeah, give us the rundown. <laughs> it was excellent, but I'll start at the beginning. Okay. So Lois and I did not buy tickets until three hours before we saw the misfits in 2019 we w- kept waiting for the ticket price to go down and eventually it got to a reasonable enough level that we uh 
we landed tickets for 30 bucks. You splurged. We, we splurged. That's a that's a big gig ticket price, you know? Yeah. $30 to get into Philadelphia, too. One of the highlights was that it uh, was the same night as the Army-Navy football game in the adjoining stadium, the stadium right next door. So when we get – so our Philly hack is we – it's not that hacky, but we park far away from a place, and then we take the train in for a couple bucks so we don't have to pay like $40 for parking. Potential future segment, Pappy's Hackies. <laughs> Pappy's Hacks. You guys ever notice how expensive parking at a concert venue is? Just take the train, you dummies. <laughs> so we took the train. <laughs> and I love before a big event like that, you can always tell who's going to the gig. Because there were at least 15 people on the train in Misfit shirts. A handful of Devil Locks. The most extreme of the Devil Lock guys had on a fully studded vest. There was no leather left. It was all studs <laughs> and a devil lock that went down to his chest. And that fella walking past guys in their dress blues for like the army, like yeah. people in, in the hat and the army uniform staring down <laughs> the dude with the devil lock as he walked past them. That was I the highlight. Like of the just whole for like 15, 20 years ago, there would have been a really cool brawl on the train. Oh yeah. But they all just stared at each other. It was, yeah. And, you could tell the army guys were laughing at him secretly, being like, look at this loser, but now they're going to Iran. <laughs> womp womp. Whackity <laughs> schmackity yeah. doo. So, what's the ratio of people wearing Misfits t shirts to not wearing Misfits t shirts at the Misfits concert? I'd call it at least 60 40. That's and, that, and 20 of that 40 were wearing Dropkick Murphy's t shirts sick the row in front of us were a bunch of bro guys who got really excited for shipping up to boston they spilled their beers all over each other <laughs> and that's the front sounded like hearing a hardcore band play in the practice space next to yours like it sounded like them playing through the wall oh i forgot they played yeah agnostic front played and they're not a stadium band by any means no but i remember seeing um roger merritt and the disasters on that um what was that tour at Hershey at the Giant Center? Was it the Less Than Jake one? Yeah, Good Charlotte, Newfound Glory, Less Than Jake, and Roger Merritt in the Disasters. And they, Roger Merritt was not a good stadium guy then either. No, he's still not, I'd like to report. Okay. They played really well, but you could tell that he didn't know what to do with all that stage. He just kept running back and forth. And then like four songs in, he stayed in the middle because you could tell he was like, ah, fuck, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> Did they play like good agnostic front i'm gonna come clean and say that i don't know a ton about agnostic front i know the songs that are on the punk or rama comps so i know i know oi agnostic front i don't know victim in pain or whatever yeah. um they played the for my family for my friends song and all the bros got really excited so they played and like it, shitty new metal agnostic front well the oi agnostic front gotta go bud they say for my friends in that no that's a different song but they played the for my friends for my family and then they played the uh uh from the east coast to the west coast gotta 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 go that song okay well it was agnostic front played it was fine yeah uh the highlight of agnostic front set was there was a guy next to us that i watched google agnostic front read their... <laughs> <laughs> he he read their wikipedia and ordered a t-shirt wow <laughs> 
on his phone. There was a merch booth, but he ordered a T-shirt on his phone from the comfort of his seat. <laughs> They've been cheaper with uh, where they where was it at? Was it at Wells Fargo? It was a Wells Fargo, sorry. Yeah. Imagine the merch cut at a Wells Fargo concert. I can't imagine. The Misfits T-shirts were fifty dollars. Yeah, and they probably make forty-five of that. <laughs> the venue or the Misfits? <laughs> the Misfits. Another oh, one of the God. highlights of the. So the. The Misfits set was partly great because Jerry only uh, broke, I think our final count was eight bases during the set, four or five of which he snapped over his knee and then threw into the crowd. So I'm glad we didn't pay for pit seats just to get clocked in the face by a Washburn base. Do you think they were they like real? I don't know. He, well, he played them. I could hear them. They sounded bad, but I heard them. I'm okay, wondering Tim if he Armstrong also plays guitar. Yeah, he did air quotes for everyone not watching. But uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, took a couple of the bolts out of the, the neck so that the connection was a little weaker and then just snapped him right where the neck meets the body. Is he still jacked? Oh, yeah, they all look pretty jacked from far away. They didn't have a jumbotron or anything. In lieu of a jumbotron, they had a whole bunch of lights that were little tiny fiend skulls that just danced around the stage the whole time. That's cute. It was awesome. I wonder if they juice. Almost certainly. Yeah. Danzig kept going, Jerry, we're going to play a love song, <laughs> but like a Misfits love song. It's called <laughs> Die, Die, My Darling. <laughs> At least he was like, what's the, is exuberant a word? It is. Is and it what I'm looking for? It's accurate. Okay. Could have went with stoked. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> So that was probably my that was probably my best gig of 2019. Do you guys know what your best gig in 2019 was? What you got, Steve? <laughs> oh boy, I should have thought about it beforehand, huh? Yeah, I'm just flying off the handle with these questions. I ain't prepped for it. Well, who did I see? You saw Joan of Arc play dance songs in the basement of the Lizard Lounge. It wasn't Joan of Arc. It was Good Fuck. I they thought it was billed as Joan of Arc, though, right? They didn't tell us it was good fuck. They told us it was Joan of Arc. They did play one Joan of Arc song, but it was good fuck. I enjoyed it. Brittany really enjoyed it. Um, I think most of their music is inspired by the two of them having sex. Oh. And it's mostly about that. Is it a husband-wife duo type deal? I don't know if they're married. What did you tell me about marriage when you found out I was getting married? Married, marriaged. I found out you were getting married. I don't know. What did I tell you? That marriage is a bourgeoisie construct. Oh no! <laughs> and I'm sure. <laughs> At the time since I said that, I got married. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that um, that uh, Tim Kinsella thinks that marriage is a bourgeoisie construct. Why did I tell you that? Um. I can tell you what, but probably the hot water shows. Yeah. Which ones? The Asbury Park ones that you went with me? Or, uh... The, the ones I made it through. Yeah, Asbury Park. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about Philadelphia. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, yeah, oh, you, probably you the... Mean the, tr the trip to New Jersey where you lost your wallet for, like, a month under, yeah. your, car, under cool. your car seat. <laughs> yeah, those, that was probably my best show. Mostly because that girl tried ripping that set list out of my hand. And she said, give it to me. And I said, 
no. <laughs> and then I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll TJ, best show 2019. Best show. Um, what, oh, wait. Let me let me predict. It's going to be the last Slayer gig, isn't it? That that would be my number one. I was going to lead into it by saying, Justin, you and I went to see one of the Half Art Reunion shows up in Massachusetts. And, oh, yeah, uh, thanks oh, for the invite. Oh, you, bro. You oh, canceled bro. night before. Yeah, thanks for the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I picked a good one, though, didn't I? That was pretty nice. It was right across the street from uh, the Palladium. We have to remember that the listening audience doesn't understand any of this. So uh, the three of us were all slated to go to the Have Heart outdoor reunion in Worcester and Steven backed out the night before after booking our hotel for us which was kind of a win-win because we didn't have to deal with him on the drive up wow Need hotel room bud walking distance never again <laughs> <laughs> so so the half hour show was nice um we were all there when they were doing their thing but it was really cool to see them one more time um we were all there for kill your idols in a garage that yeah cool. that's up there um, and then my favorite show of the year was Slayer's last show, which I don't think, I don't think it'll be their, their last show. Ever. Oh, no, for sure. But it was their last show for now, at least. It was the final campaign. It was the final campaign. Yeah. Wait, where was that? Was it? That was out in LA. That was at, uh, the forum. Tell us about it. Go through well, it. It was, it was interesting. I, uh, I flew out. Did you go by yourself? Yeah, I went by myself. I did Black Friday at work. I work at one of those shipping companies. Um, we did Black Friday, and then Saturday morning, I got up at 4 in the morning, drove down to BWI, and then I flew out to L.A. and got to L.A., went and got lunch, had some Del Taco. Um, <laughs> went in L.A. <laughs> went in L.A., go to Del Taco, uh, checked into the hotel room, went over to the show, and uh it was tight uh justin you and i were there when they played in hershey and uh yeah i saw i saw i saw the tour earlier when they played in hershey and um i was really excited to check out ministry again after i'd seen them because they're not somebody i was really familiar with but ministry was cool phil doing the pantera set was cool um primus was primus i enjoyed them i believe (laughs) justin said uh, they do one thing really well, and they did it for like a half an hour, however long they played. <laughs> That's absolutely true. They they slap the bass and make a wah, wah, wah noise on the guitar, and that's. <laughs> I don't give a fuck that they play the South Park theme song. That band gives me a fucking headache. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna segue into our combined Slayer experience, TJ, because I was not as fond of Ministry as you. Oh, you're giving <laughs> you're giving them a very nice. Uh, <laughs> review i most of that show i would hung out in the suite or walking back and forth on that bridge above all the peasants that were down below buying, <laughs> buying 40 dollar t-shirts because we got sweets to slayer yeah and then uh slayer was as slayer always is they were a super tight live band lots of pyro on the score um oh courtney's giving me the the ugly eye i do have one little note for primus so I went to Slayer's last show and I got my uh, I got my glasses broken off of my face, but it wasn't during Slayer set. It wasn't during Ministry. It wasn't during during Phil doing Pantera. It was during Primus. The one crowd surfer that went over me, kicked me in the face and broke my glasses. 
So yeah, then Slayer was as Slayer is, and they were great, and it was good to see them one last time. For now, Did they play the same set, or was it different? I think that was pretty much the same set they were playing earlier in the tour. They added they added one show the night before, and I didn't have tickets to that, but apparently they changed up the set list for that. That's so, kind of fucked up. Yeah, but that's all right. It was good to see them one last time. Did a lot of people there wear Slayer shirts also while watching Slayer? Yeah, lots of Slayer shirts while also seeing Slayer. Kind of the same thing as the Misfits. I saw one guy, he had to be there for Primus. He was wearing this weird top hat thing with uh, playing cards tucked into the the side of it. It was weird. Totally there for Primus. <laughs> That's why they suck. Come on. No way. No way. The steampunk was there for Primus? Get the fuck out. <laughs> Jesus. There you so go, Pappy. Did you say your I, best show? Um. I don't know. Well, I I'm gonna count it as that misfits, but I have two uh I have two more notes about Slayer. So my first note about Slayer, I've had this conversation a few times. I think it's a little screwy that that tour that they traversed the country with was mm-hmm. the same as their last show. Like if I was this enormous band, this genre defining band, I'd want my last show to be full of like my buds. Mm-hmm. Not saying that Phil Ansamo and them aren't buds or Primus and them aren't buds or whatever but uh i don't know put metallica on there get megadeth back together put fucking dave mustaine on a stage and hand a guitar to him anthrax was in the house yeah put anthrax on that gig you're in la and you're slayer as your last show ever presumably mm-hmm. put some buds on that gig yeah i agree that would have been tight that would have been and a this, good call and the second point about slayer was uh another piece of connective tissue that when the misfits played they had dave lombardo playing drums for him mm-hmm Wildly underutilized in the Misfits. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Talk about a drummer playing below his pay grade. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Yeah. TJ, what do you think of uh, Rage Against the Machine reuniting and playing Coachella? I see. I see all the different arguments about it, and I, I can't disagree. It's kind of interesting. It could seem like a cash grab, but. I also see the argument saying, well, they're they're playing to people who probably need to hear this. But I don't think those people really care to hear what they have to say. They just want to mosh. Yeah, I don't think they give a shit. I don't know. I, I wish it hadn't been that. I wish they had done something. I feel like they could have done something cooler. Especially, like, they could have done their own thing. I think they their could... shows in El Paso and down along the southern border are going to be awesome. They're going to be really cool. But they could have done, like, a show in Hanover so I could go. <laughs> they could have well, done small clubs residencies for like three or four nights and donated everything to like the Southern Poverty Law Center or Planned Parenthood or something. They could have pulled a Joan of Arc, announced it as Inside Out so no one cared, and just <laughs> the machine. That would be pretty good. Kind of the opposite effect, but you know. Or just have Tom Morello's folk songs open every night. Yeah. He's, I think he has two full albums of those. You ever listen to that? No. No. Yeah, it's all right. When I was in college and read books about anarchy, I thought it was neat. <laughs> Leave it at that. <laughs> Are you still an anarchist, Justin? Tell the people. Soft, soft no. <laughs> There's some wiggle room. Yeah, soft. Eh. It depends on the election. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. 
Depends on whether the anarchist or the capitalist is going to give me the most bang for my buck, the most tax write-offs. TJ, are you an anarchist? Uh, I'm going to go with a soft no. I'm going to copy Justin here. Okay. His long uh-uh was a soft no. I'm going to go with a hard no for me. So two beats off podcast. Um, you guys equal one. Two, one out of three are anarchists. <laughs> do you uh do you feel comfortable if i uh introduce the interview yeah i don't care just so you have it all right well uh i guess let's not waste any more time let's get into it this is keith Leighton of uh empire empire i was a lonely estate all right today we have our very first interview for two beats off podcast He's a uh, jack of all trades. He's three out of four members of his own band most of the time. He, he's what the people in the real emo scene refer to as the Midwest monsoon. And on top of that, I'm pretty sure I've never heard of that before. He is a time known extraordinaire, Keith Leighton from Count Your Lucky Stars Records and Empire Empire. I was a lonely estate. How are you, Keith? I'm good. How are you? That's my favorite intro I've ever gotten. <laughs> Midwest Monsoon? You've never heard that before? I have not. I need, I need to get on a t-shirt. It's on the boards. You might not be on them. <laughs> the secret board? Yeah, the secret, uh, secret Facebook boards. So I guess we can... We're kind of going to start like, as far back as we can. So like, okay. you didn't really have the punk hardcore background a lot of people in like emo bands seem to have. So... At what age did you find like American football or mineral or whatever band and who showed that to you? Was there like a person in your life that showed you those bands and kind of inspired you or did you find it on your own? Um, so my brother and I used to, okay, if we're going far back, uh, I didn't really ever, I kind of, I feel like I got into music pretty late because, okay, so when I was in middle school, I bought a tape from The Real McCoy. You guys remember The Real McCoy? Yep. So I, I talk, I talk, I talk to you. Kathy's here, by the way, so she's laughing because she knows the story. <laughs> anyway, so before that, I had bought, like, um, I, I listened to, like, when I was in elementary school, I listened to, like, Animaniacs and really cool stuff like that. And so the first real tape I bought was by The Real McCoy, and my older siblings made so much fun of me that I didn't buy another cassette tape for, like, a very long time. And it wasn't until my brother started listening to music a lot heavier in high school. I was probably a freshman. And he started getting into bands like um, Our Lady Peace, uh, Everclear, um, you know, bands like that. Uh, he was <laughs> he owned um, Hootie and the Blowfish and, like, in the Goo Goo Dolls, um, the boy named goo and we listened to that like so much <laughs> anyway so we got into that kind of music that like alternative rock kind of music right um and we were really into so uh, at some point i got really into fuel you know the um the radio rock band yeah. network yeah. like there's, there's <laughs> like an, like a emo type band fuel right but this is not the one i was into i was really into it and loved like shimmer and really still a solid song <laughs> they're, they're from here oh really yeah, they're a Pennsylvania band. <laughs> you guys hang out with them? 
<laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> that was my first my first gig was Aerosmith and Fuel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a pretty pretty good first gig. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So we ended up. My, so this is kind of funny too. So when I was what, what were we? a sophomore in high school or something like that something like that i went to a concert with um, my brother and his girlfriend at the time who became his wife and kathy came with me who became my wife and my best friend danny miller who was the bassist in my bands in high school and the first bassist empire actually and we saw fuel and opening up for fuel and this is so weird to me there's a band called ruth ruth and sam i am Oh shit! <laughs> so Sam I am opened up for for Fuel, and then my brother and I bought the CD. Really liked it, and then the liner notes you know, we're reading about and doing some research online or whatever. And Sergey from Sam I am was the guitarist in Knapsack. Right. So then I got into Knapsack, and then this is also really funny. Crank had you remember Crank the record label? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they put out like early cursive and mineral, you know, obviously that's a huge influence of mine. Anyway, so I, I started listening to them through that and had this page in really, really early um, internet. You couldn't listen to like a whole song, you'd listen to like a, a real audio clip. And it took things. So um, <laughs> they had this page, but there's this comp that they had, and that sex was on it, and minerals on it, whatever. And I remember being in high school in the high school. Um, computer lab and streaming like a couple songs or like 30 seconds of all these releases and like really getting into them and like going to cd stores and hunting all that stuff down so yeah that's how i got into it was by by fuel <laughs> it was like a fuel treasure map to the end right well cause back, back in the day it was hard obviously it was harder to, to find like related bands and so i always read like liner notes and you know stuff like that and that's how we got into other bands and yeah so from there it was kind of like there was this um there's there's a CD compilation I got from Best Buy called Malcore, and that had like a lot of bands that I knew but a lot of bands that didn't know. So on that comp was like Modest Mouse, Knapsack, Mineral, Compound Red. Um, I can't remember all the you know all the bands that were on it. Hum I think might have been on it. Anyway, all these bands and like that got me into a lot of stuff as well. So just kind of yeah that that trip. So yeah. so you took. <laughs> You took Kathy to that fuel show. Is that how you guys met, or did you guys know? No, no. Okay, this is an even cooler story. Be prepared for this. Um, I'm sitting down. (laughs) Kathy and I (laughs) met um, at band camp. Shut up. (laughs) And more more specifically, because we went to, she was a grade above me. Um, We went to high school together. Um, But more specifically, when we first started talking, this is how cool I was, slash him. Um, I was editing, not playing, but editing a Magic the Gathering deck, <laughs> and that's when she came up and talked to me. Um, instead of watching like, a movie that everybody was watching, um, so she should have known then. <laughs> that's a pretty big red flag, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how what, we met. <laughs> what did you play in the high school band? I played trumpet, and then Kathy played flute. And actually, so all the songs that Empire, those trumpets, yes, yeah, we we, we wrote all our songs on trumpet and flute. Yeah. And music, so. um, That's no, the um, emo secret. Start yeah, with trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, all the, all the trumpet on Empire is from from me, based on my 
my trumpeting skills from high school. And uh, actually, what's really funny about that is I was not good in, at trumpet in high school at all. And when I went back to it for some reason, I was like, oh, I can actually play this. So I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> I was better later. I was more of a trombone guy. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I'll, have, maybe I'll have you uh, play some trombone on, on, on one of my newer releases. The only thing I ever learned was uh, the, what's it called? <laughs> the fucking anthem thing. <laughs> oh, the, not the alma mater is where you go to school. What's the song for? Is it the alma mater? Might be the alma mater. Like our fight song, you mean? Yeah, yeah. the fight song. The, the whatever the bulldog song was. That was if only you, if you want Kathy and I to sing the Fenton Tigers theme uh, fight song, we could do that right now. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually withdrawing it, but it's a it's a it's a it's a banger. So <laughs> Ours was... it's called Stand Up and Cheer. You can you can Google it. Yeah, you have to go to a game. <laughs> you might be able to find a YouTube video from someone in the Fenton High School marching band playing it. So. Someone's this parent. is how off topic I'm going to take you guys, by the way. Wow. <laughs> like 10 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, all right. So you guys met forever ago mm-hmm. with your flute and your trumpet, right? And then technically I was playing a cornet at that time, but go on. <laughs> An even nerdier trumpet. <laughs> Isn't that the thing you put on your suit jacket? Uh, no. That's no. Boutonier. Boutonier. <laughs> Not at all the same. I think you're thinking corsage. Yeah, that's probably what you were thinking. Okay. All right. That's what you yeah. buy like your prom date. Okay. Or homecoming. I, mean, I, seen it. I didn't go. Oh, who's <laughs> more emo now? <laughs> I don't want to get into that. <laughs> so, like, you guys met in band. You went to see Fuel. You found yeah. Sam I Am. Yeah. Did you kind of collectively go through that together and start Empire Empire, or did that just pieces that all led up to one thing? Uh, well, then I was in a band in high school called Sev the Girl. That was my first band, which had a, diff- had a different name. Yeah, it's super emo sound. <laughs> it was an emo band in the late 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. We recorded um, two EPs. Um, actually, the guy who, he's done a lot of work for um, Thursday, Saves a Day, Thrice. He's in a band with um, Laura Jane Grace now. Oh, really? Anyway, he was the engineer that did our stuff, and we're still friends. His name's Mark Jacob Hudson. He's awesome. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he did our first album. Um, actually, we self-recorded our first album and the second album. Anyway, and we did that, but Kathy was not in that, although for one of our last shows, she did play a song on bass for it, which, uh, again, I'm going to get off on tangent here, but our basses had, we it was after high school, and we had every intention of keeping together, but our, our bass player had moved to California. And so we had this show where like a bunch of our friends played bass for us and she played bass for one of the songs, but it was during her, her work. So she literally left work, played, came to the show. We were playing in a barn. Very cool. Small town. So we, we played at a barn and then she played bass and then she went back to work. That's but yeah, excellent. Anyway, so, so then I went to college and sadly, one of the reasons I went to college, I was like really excited to start a band and could not find anybody to start a band, period, and ended up playing a couple random bands in, in college, like including a band that was like very um, Taking Back Sunday. How do we get this? I want to. I have removed 
most of it from this online, so it actually would be difficult to find. I bet SoulSeek has it. But Steven. you know what? I'll send it to you. We gotta dig up, dig back through MySpace or something. <laughs> I deleted our MySpace. We had a MySpace. We were really big on MySpace and Pure Volume. Uh, I, remember, I remember Pure, pure Volume. volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone and, had, but no one who listened to music used it. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. Well, that was like a big deal. And when I, my band in college, um, it was called Seed of Sparrow. So there's the. The nugget there it was a fun band but it was you know not as much my thing but anyway it was definitely fun i went to michigan state and we one day went to the computer lab and streamed our song on every different computer and so we were at the top of the pure volume charts for one day we got all these like crazy messages and like this is so cool people from japan are listening to us or whatever <laughs> after college that broke up and then i started this whole project that turned into a full band called Anna Flyway. That's that record that we just released. And then it was a solo project, and then Kathy, and then my friend Danny, who went to the Fuel concert with us, played bass for it. He was also the bassist in some of my high school bands. Um, And then a bunch of other friends played in that. And then when that broke up, that's when I started Empire Empire. So my friend was, the real backstory, which is, please stop me if I'm rambling, but the backstory in this is um, my one of my really good friends, his name is Danny Stickle. He was recording the whole thing. It's just like, a, you know, we were just doing it. We didn't really know what we were doing, but he definitely knew more of what he was doing than I did. So he recorded it and I played all the instruments. And then we added Kathy and Danny and the other members on their respective instruments. And the drummer was like, hey, I want to play drums on this recording because I'm in the band now. But the person who was originally recording it could no longer record it. He was busy doing other stuff. He had moved for college. Um, so I was like, well, I should learn how to record so I can finish the recording, but I don't want it to sound like garbage. So I started Empire Empire to learn how to record. So that was a solo project of mine. So I could get better at Anna Flyway. And then Anna Flyway, we, we actually recorded the whole album, but then Anna Flyway broke up and I decided to focus on Empire Empire. And I already had you know, stuff recorded. So Kathy and Danny... The two people from Anna Flyway joined up with me. We found another drummer, and we started playing. So would you say that all those years spent touring in Empire Empire was just figuring out how to make this one Anna Flyway record? <laughs> yeah, we finally made it, man. Well, that's that on a that Anna Flyway record, though. Like, I always had intentions. Like, we broke up, but they still, um, even when we were breaking up, I was like, hey, please let me finish this recording. Because, you know, I always like documenting that moment in time or whatever. And then just sat on a hard drive of a laptop that's like a literal tank. And it sat there, I don't know, like, t- yeah, for like 10 years or something like that. I don't know, eight years, something like that. And then if surprisingly, it still worked. And, and yeah, we were able to pull those files, get them properly mixed and mastered. And then we put the record out like a couple of months ago, <laughs> 14 years later. I guess yeah, that's, that's very, uh, that's very Justin, lots of you. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got a whole cache of, uh, well, he, he still wants to, well, we've talked the Reservoir demo releasing, which sounds nothing like anything we've done, and is now eight years old. Well, it's time to do it. It's the only yeah. thing that's not on vinyl. That's what I yeah. want to do. Got to have it yeah. all. Yeah, well, we have very similar messages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys broke up for Anna Flyway, and you started Empire Empire then. How long did you guys, before you were writing songs and everything, play your first show? Um, what do you think, Kathy? It wasn't that long, actually. 
Well, I know that the day of the it, first show, because it was after my birthday, it was October 28th, uh, would have been 2007, 2006, 2006, yeah, and but, so Anna Flyway broke up, then we decided to make it a real, when we decided to make it a real thing and we found a, a drummer, it was probably only like a, a month or two before we played a show, maybe, something like that. How'd that all come together then, like your first show? Because I remember trying in any band I've been in, like to the very first show I ever tried to get for my band, I had no idea what I was doing, and it just kind of happened by accident. Uh, well, I've been, I've been in like a zillion other bands. So one of our friends was playing a house show. It was a, it was a place called the Fortress of Solid Dudes. <laughs> That's where it was. It was in Atlanta, Michigan, and um, it was actually it wasn't even a house. It was a garage show on October twenty eighth. So we all the pictures that we have of that show were all like wearing our winter coats. Yeah, um, it, was, it was it was really cool. But yeah, just some of our friends and another band from Flint, you know, invited us to the show and we played it. And I remember it being fun. I remember also a, a homeless guy wandering in during the show. Let's see what else. I, I remember it being very, very cold. And the other band that well, at that time in Michigan, especially the grindcore uh, era was really, really, really heavy. So we would play, most of the shows that we would play were with grindcore bands or like these butt rock bands so <laughs> it was it was it was tough sledding that show was with like grindcore and hardcore bands i feel like any town's a struggle to not play with grindcore bands yeah especially in that era i mean the mid-2000s that was like that was the thing you know and i remember people like bragging about like they could do pig squeal you remember that yeah like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> rebreeze that was a really but, funny era. That was also the era, like, it was also really cool to sing, like, really high. But yeah. I was, like, really into that. You know, like, the Anthony yeah, Green yeah. type of stuff. So I also yeah. was, like, really into that, too. Like, if you listen to some early Empire stuff, it's, like, super high vocal. I totally missed, like, read that and thought you meant, like, you like getting high before you played. Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> I, uh, I have never done any drugs in my life or drank. That's impressive. <laughs> I don't know if it's impressive, but it's, it's something that I've... <laughs> Yeah, but you're the, happy, you know. <laughs> and Michigan can be bleak, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys get pretty similar weather, so. You get yeah. It. <laughs> Although it was it was in like the 60s today. Yeah, we we were supposed to we had this like this like giant ice storm yesterday. Well, it was supposed to be a giant ice storm, like a mass ice storm, where like all these businesses were closing, everything was closing. They were like, do not travel, it's going to be impossible. And then it turned out to be nothing. That so, sounds right. Yeah. The weather, you know, being a for- weather forecaster, I think you can be wrong most of the time and somehow still have a job. So uh, when Empire Empire was getting started, at what point did you start Count Your Lucky Stars and did they kind of evolve together or? Yeah. So we, so we, we self-released when the CD came in China on CD and we, we, okay, so we had a record label that was interested in us called, they were called Lucky Creature. They had put out a comp that my college band was on, See Pete Sparrow. And so that's why I knew them. And it's actually not going to be, it was going to be the Year of the Rabbit, but it was going to be a split with Look Mexico. Do you guys remember Look Mexico? Yeah. Okay, so we were going to do a split with them. And they were down, and Lucky Creature was down. And then Look Mexico got signed to this record label called Lujo Records. And then Lucky Creature got really like nervous about putting out a split with somebody that was signed to another record label for some reason. I don't really know why, especially thinking about it now. 
Like, I don't know why that'd be a big deal. But anyway, so they backed out of it. And then we were like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. But we had been distroing our stuff. That, the Windsor became a giant EP. We had been distroing it to a place in England called SNCL, Strictly No Capital Letters. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yep. Andy Malcolm um, runs this really cool label. And um, this is through a series of messages on MySpace. We were kind of like, um, I was like kind of messaging him about it, kind of like hinting at it. And he was like, if you're if you're hinting at us putting out like a record for you, we would love to do that. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So, but he wanted to, he wanted to do it, and that would be in the UK. And we were like, well, if we're paying for half of it anyway, we might as well just start a record label, right? So we paid for half of it, or we paid for half of the pressing or whatever, and they paid for their half, and um, that's how we started. It was because nobody else wanted to put out our records, and the record label that was going to put it out originally bailed, and we were like, well, because the way I thought about it at that point was half-price vinyl, because there's another label that's already putting it out. Right, um, right. And, yeah, and so we put that out, and then we, when we started touring and playing more and more shows we found more and more bands that we really liked that nobody else was putting out their records. And so we were like, Hey, let's just put out their records too. And so it kind of started accidentally as like a vehicle just to put out, you know, our friends bands that nobody was paying attention to. So those are usually the best ones anyway, the labels that start cause you had to. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was really cool. Cause it was really like, it was really interesting because it was at that time, it may, especially now, you know, where things are now, um, that history had happened. But at that time, nobody was, there were very, very few bands that were doing what we were doing, playing right. that kind of music, right? Um, so there, there were not a lot of bands, but there were no labels doing it. So it was really easy to cherry pick all those bands because no one else was doing it. You know, so like we put out a record by Joie de Vie, we put a record by Football, et cetera. We put out a record, you know, like in really early days, like in an, as time went on, it evolved or whatever. But yeah, it was really cool in the beginning. And it was like this like real sense of community because we also played shows with each other and set up every, like, so if you were on a kind of stars, especially in the early days, you know, those other bands would take care of you. You know what I mean? So like you would, if, if football, et cetera, was going to Maryland, perfect future would put the show on for you, you know, stuff like that. Right. So. Which that's something that nowadays, I mean, we haven't played in a little bit that, isn't quite as prevalent of an idea anymore because of how easy it is to do things by yourself from your bedroom. Like you record the whole record, you can put it up and you don't have to ever leave. You don't need yeah. a label. You don't even need to play shows really. Yeah. And you can do, I mean, you do, but right. Well, I mean, yeah, but like you could definitely, I also think that community is so much more connected nowadays where you don't, you know, I mean like you can go to um, all those Facebook groups, like, you know, Midwest emo posting or like, uh, the emo subreddit or anything like that and you can find you can find all those people and it's really easy to connect stuff but that's definitely not how, how it was before there was no easy you know it was also it was also easy not it was also not easy to find bands like that even so nowadays you can you just go to spotify and every single band you want to hear it's pretty much there right so, but i mean that, that, i think that because of that um not exclusivity but because of the rarity of of those of our types of bands yourself included at that time it meant more 
to connect to those people. Like your relationship to those bands meant a lot because that was so few and far between, you know, like finding bands like that was just like a tough thing. So when you found a band like that, you know, you really bonded and you kept, you maintained that relationship. Yeah. Cause that kind of goes back to you starting and playing with a lot of grindcore bands is small towns. Didn't especially, we were the only emo band on all those shows. We'd play with hardcore bands or play mm-hmm. with metal bands. And then when you travel outside and you're like, Oh, you sound kind of like us. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect way to sum it up. I remember this hardcore fest that we played in Boston and Alston. Um, it was at a, uh, like a VFW hall or something. And uh, there were two sides of the stage or the floor or whatever. Because, you know, so you always had to play on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Stages were too good for you. So, and it was band, 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 band. And it was like seven metal hardcore bands and then us you know what i mean so that was a really common thing even when we were touring you know so that was especially in the early days so many metal hardcore bands we played with which that's not that's not a problem or anything but it was nice to start to play with bands that sounded similar enough to you that you know right so as far as like playing with bands like that when you guys had to finally you know you played shows around and you decided to start touring what kind of methods did you use at that time to book the shows was it like a go on myspace find it was myspace yeah absolutely it? myspace yep <laughs> and then there were these um there's like this website do diy um yeah. that you can find a bunch of you contacts from um but mostly yeah myspace i just remember like messaging everybody in myspace like that's actually how we ended up um <laughs> signing equality is i think it was chris i'm not positive who but chris messaged us about hey if you ever come to rockford you know, you can play a show here. And then I remember Kathy actually had responded to it first and she told me, Hey, you should really listen to this band. And then I listened to them on MySpace. And then I remember calling them and like signing, almost like signing them there. And then like when we played a tour, like a weekend tour in, to Rockford, we pretty much did one so we can hang out, <laughs> you know, and we met and ended up putting out the record, you know? So yeah, but MySpace is definitely the way. I remember they used to have show listings, like you could pick an area and a mile radius for a certain date. So if you had like a day to fill out on a tour, you could like see every show in that town happening. Yeah. No, dude, DIY was like really key for that early stuff. And it was just a lot of like, you know, like emailing a million people and like, you you know, like almost nobody responded to you. And I remember we also, especially in early days when it's hard to get shows, we would play like, and we didn't know what we were doing. So we would play like really illogical uh, tour routing or like we couldn't get the show. So on our first tour we did for Pennsylvania, we did like, we did a Michigan date and then um, somewhere in Ohio, I can't remember where, but then we did Philly and then Pittsburgh and then went to the East Coast. But it's because we couldn't get shows. We didn't know didn't realize how long upstate Pennsylvania is. It's like super, super long. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we didn't realize that at the time and we just couldn't get shows. And so like anything that was offered to us, we were like, okay, we'll take it. Even, you know, I remember just like losing so much money, you know, on, on early tours. It's like losing money, like playing shows for no one. I was going to ask in retrospect what you think your dumbest tour routing was, but that one sounds pretty goofy. It was, it was pretty, <laughs> yes. But that, again, that was, that was part of us not knowing at all what we were doing, but also not being able to get any shows and just having to just take what we could. I think one, one of the most ridiculous things we did is we, we played this show in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and it was an open mic night, although we didn't know it at the time. 
And it was like all these like it was ridiculous. And the guy didn't pay us, but he bought shirts from us so that he could resell them later. <laughs> Which that was really it's so common to not get paid for shows like all. Oh like yeah. That. And just like or like the the infamous like passing the hat around the, the bucket for you know donations or whatever. Yeah. And I, I also remember playing like so many shows that that the people that put on the show were like they had like good intentions, but they're like really bad about collecting money. And I we, I remember getting really good at like having to pick the you know the bucket up and and walk around and get people. Warren Warren Franklin got really good at that. So like when we you know donations you know for shows we could actually you know have some money gas money whatever like i he he got really good at like walking around and getting people to do it cuz nobody wants to pay no, no nobody wants to pay you know it's like a free right. show for them and they don't realize you know how much it costs to be in a touring band and you know how tough it is you know for that kind of stuff especially early going so so how did that uh relationship kind of come together cuz you're like 50% of your tours i think were probably with Warren Franklin in some way or another how did yeah. you meet each other well, he was friends from he was friends with um, Chua. He's actually in Chua now, Chua to be. Um, and we just actually it took us a long time to meet, and and we knew of each other, but we finally just ended up meeting at um, in Rockford. There was a DIY venue called the Hipster House, um, and it was just like a, a practice area. But they would us put shows on there, and we played a show together. And just ended up meeting and hanging out and just like really hit it off. And then, like like you said in the intro, after a while, Empire became pretty much me and whatever band I was touring with. Right. right? Um, so a lot of times it'd be like, well, I can tour with you, but you, you have to be the other parts of my band. Which is really nice in the sense that like we all went in the same van, so that it was easier for gas for that. And also setting up equipment was like we would play a show take like a 10 minute break and then the other band would play and with warren um i ended up playing guitar a lot for him so a lot of tours the later empire tours the mid to late empire tours he would play i would play guitar in his band he would play guitar in my band and we'd have the same drummer and bassist so literally <laughs> the only difference between the two would be like he was singing so I, we, he, would finish, <laughs> we would, he would finish his set we would go off stage for five or ten minutes or whatever it was and we come back and it'd be the exact same lineup but i would just be singing instead of him so i remember people getting mad too like why don't you just stay up there but like double double duty for sets you know oh yeah you can take some time out of you and it's nice to have a break so yeah. and for new people you really have to put that divide between the bands too otherwise i feel like if you just do one giant set right also i think i mean warren and i our band sounded very differently. But if you're just like a, the kind of person that like ducks down, sees him playing or whatever, and then leaves and comes back, they're probably like, how fucking long is this band? <laughs> so you, you did a bunch of tours with Warren Franklin. Then you ended up going to the UK with the reptilian. How did, uh, how did that all get worked out? And how odd was it touring outside of the United States for the first time? Um, that actually wasn't our first international tour. The first international tour we did was with a band called Marina ID. They were from Hungary, and they were this instrumental rock band. This was in probably, damn, when was this? 2010, 2011. Anyway, we went, that was really surreal. That was really weird. Just like playing. Okay, so when, when we flew to Hungary, the band that we were touring with from Hungary picked up us from the airport right but they had lost our luggage they lost a bunch of our 
luggage and instruments. So we didn't know what to do. So the actually the first night I remember we ended up playing on a bunch of borrowed gear from them. But they had the airport called right before the show and they're like, Hey, one of your um, instruments showed up, so come and pick it up. So we went to the airport and on the way there there was a um a riot from a soccer match. And then, like people it was crazy. Like people was like spilling into the streets and all that. Um anyway, we picked up the um picked up the bass, played the show, and then our luggage didn't show up for two more days. Our instruments didn't show up for two more days. But here's the crazy thing. The same time that that happened, there was, uh, this actually, this whole tour was really kind of cursed in this way. But there was a, a, a plane crash carrying Polish top officials um, on the way to Russia. Their relations, you know, are not slash were not that great. And they were going there on like a diplomatic community country relationship building and the, the the plane went down and it killed like the president and all these like top religious officials in poland and our next shows were two shows were in poland and that's like a really religious country so they canceled everything there oh wow a couple days so even if our all our stuff had showed up we couldn't have played there anyway so we had to stay in Hungary, so we stayed in Hungary for in Budapest for a couple of days um, until our luggage showed up, and then after that, we did the rest of the tour with them. It was it was quite a time. I have like a million stories from that, but you know, not many not many people came out because we were not a big band at the time. I don't really know how we ended up going on a European tour when we really had no business doing it, but we were like, oh, this is really cool, and we played a bunch of shows some and then the last show they dropped us off in net the netherlands and we the last show on the way back we really wanted to play with pennines do you guys remember that band i think so so the lead singer from pennines ended up is now the lead singer in this town needs guns or ttng oh okay anyway um we were like a really big fan of them and we want really wanted to meet andy from sncl so we flew out there to play one show and we played one show there um, but at the same time that that happened, a volcano in Iceland had Jesus erupted, and it was like, and um, it had caused all these like, do you remember that? It had caused all these massive airplane, um, air, like air travels ca- canceled because the skies the skies were filled with like. I do remember that. Yeah, like volcanic ash or whatever. And um, after the show, we were like literally. I don't know, a very small amount late for our flight, but because so many people had been displaced from the um, the volcano erupting, we lo- they gave away our gave our flights away, and we had to wait there for like eight more hours or something like that before we could fly home. <laughs> and that was just one of the crazy things. Also, we literally went around the entire city of London with all of our gear and in luggage, walked miles and miles. It was. <laughs> still to this day like a nightmare thinking about how bad that that part went and we ended up missing our flight by like a really short amount of time yeah so that was pretty crazy i I have more insane stories from that that we can talk about later but i don't want to take up too much time but as far as going with the reptilian they're also a michigan band um one of the early bands that we played with and um really loved them and you know signed them and put out you know like a bunch of records from them or whatever and we were just like, who would be fun to go on tour with in the UK? And so they had never gone on tour with 
uh, out of the country, and it was like, well, let's just go with them. So, yeah, we brought them, and um, there's a really early band on Kind of Lucky Stars called Driving on City Sidewalks, and our friend Barry was the drummer slash singer in that band. He did, like, a lot of stuff in that band, and he drummed for us on that tour, and and then um, Warren ended up playing bass for that, yeah. But, yeah, it was fun. That was a fun one. We knew more what we were doing, so those shows were definitely a lot better. And at, at that point, the whole like emo scene was like burgeoning. It was like much more, you know, things were actually happening. So like the shows that we played, people actually came out to, you know, at that point, mostly. <laughs> so that's around the time you kind of started noticing that like, hey, maybe we're pretty good. Like people are starting. Well, I, mean, I would never say that, but I mean, people started paying attention. But I think it's a big. I think being, unless you were, at that time, though, unless you were Snowing or Elgernon, wherever they played, people just, like, came out of the woodwork. But whenever we played, it was, like, I feel like we were that band that, like, you, like, listen to at home, but <laughs> they go on tour, they, they don't go and see us. Like, we, we did play, you know, a handful of shows where a bunch of people go out, but went out. But even even late late in our career, I mean... It was hard to get people to come on to shows. So, yeah. So I mean, I guess I guess that never really happened for us. Like it happened for bands like Elgin or Snowing or whatever. Right. You know. You're from Philadelphia. I think it helps. Oh well, yeah, oh, yeah. Philly was Ooh. always one of. There were like some cities that we played in that were always amazing shows. Philly yeah. was one of those places that was really like the hotbed of stuff that was happening. I mean, a million amazing bands were from Philly. Um, like High Tide was from Philly. Snowing was from Philly. Pennsylvania in general just had like a bunch of good bands. I mean, you guys were from Pennsylvania. There's just like a a million. That was like a, a really cool place. And in Pittsburgh had a lot of really cool stuff too, actually. Um, so that was that we had good shows there a lot too. Chicago was really good. Austin was like really, really, really good place. You know, so there's certain places that yeah, when we played there, people always came out. But you know, a lot of places in between, <laughs> including Michigan. I don't, I don't. You know, most of the shows we played in Michigan were were pretty. Not so great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you uh, telling me that Japan was surprisingly good. Is that? Am I remembering that wrong? Yes. No, you're 100 percent right. That okay. shit, that was an insane tour. We so we early on in our career also for our first LP. By the time destroying the um our, our original self-titled EP or excuse me original EP that was um not in the label at first when it became a giant. We also destroyed that too um japan to a label called stislack and they really liked this a lot too so they actually did a japanese import version of our first album which had like a couple extra tracks or whatever and so that relationship was really really solid so yeah they brought us over i don't remember when that was honestly but anyway we did like and i was really this is really stupid and i'm probably still like this i don't know but like i was really 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 <laughs> into like split and seven inches and like all these rare tracks or whatever i can tell yeah yeah i mean yeah <laughs> anyway so we did it we did an exclusive seven inch a japanese only seven inch which obviously you can hear on spotify and stuff but it's called home after three months away and we did that and timed that for the release of our our japanese tour and um it was awesome I and mean, we played encores every single night every show was sold out oh um, wow we did a double encore on our last show. In fact, okay, so at that point, you, we remember that we were borrowing people to play in our band, right? Right. So on, on the Japanese tour, 
we borrowed Barry again, Barry from um, Driving City Sidewalks. And then we also borrowed Andrew Stefano, who's like my best friend. He's in a band called Monster for Clouds that we also put up. Um, he was playing bass for us. And I remember playing that, that, um, that, that last show and they wanted us to come out. Like we went to the back to the, the green room. Here's my air quote. Yeah. So we went back to the green, the green room and, um, they just like kept like chanting for us to come out. And so we were like, do they want us to come out again? We had already done Encore. And they're like, do they want us to come out again? And we were like, Andrew's like, I don't know if I know any more songs. So we <laughs> think we played one more, like we had like literally one more song we could play, period. Yeah, but that, that was insane. That was even at a point where John, one of our longtime drummers, had left the band. He later came back, but he had left the band at that point. Um, and I remember in Ahmed, who was our bassist, in picture only, he never wrote any songs with us, um, but like in the original What It Takes album art, he's in the picture because he was <laughs> joining the band at the time. And I was really wanted to have him feel like he was part of the band, even though that was just me and Kathy and mostly just me for that album. Because John had also not done anything on that, but was also in the picture. And he had left the band at that point, And there were people coming up to us being like with a picture of all four of us from that record and being like, where is, where are these people? Cause they were not there. And it's like really hard to like, you know, to explain to them, like, you know, that they were not in the band anymore. And, you know, we were borrowing people. That was the most, and we also, one of my, one of my really good friends, Ryan, we brought, he was on, a, he, we, I grew up with him. We went to school together. We were in the same grade, whatever. And we were on a, um, a softball, softball team together at that time. And um, I was like, we were just like casually talking. I was like, hey, you want to come to Japan with us? So he came with us. <laughs> and I remember ever being asking him for autographs as well. And he was just our friend that was there. Like not even oh, like wow. selling merch. He was just, you know, he was just there. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was wild there, you know. I, I think that just as a, as a culture that they're much more fanatical about that. So, I, you know, if you guys did like a Japanese tour, you would kill it. I don't know about that right now, but well, okay. So you know, you know Eric Chat, right? Yeah, yeah. Thing and Kitty Hawk and all those things. Like Kitty Hawk is doing a Japanese tour. Oh wow! Like they were barely a band. Yeah, and they're doing it, and that's awesome that they're doing that. But it's also ridiculous that they're doing that. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean, that's the way awesome. to do it. Go for it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a free vacation. But like, I'm saying, if that does well there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're just fanatical about it, you know, because I love Kitty Hawk, but I never would imagine them being. <laughs> and we even talked about this. Like, this is like ridiculous that you're able to go to Japan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, either go big or go home. You got to do it all at once. That's right. It's kind of weird to be like, it's kind of weird to be like, um, so I have a couple new bands, right? And it's kind of weird to be like, I could do a Japanese tour probably right now without even putting <laughs> yeah. anything out, which is stupid. That's not even that's stupid. So you did Japan, you did uh, Europe and the UK, then you went to Europe again with The World Is, right? Yep. These bananas are weird. Hmm? (laughs) Steven said that Nicole Shanholzer said to say these bananas are weird and that you would understand what it is. I think I remember that. Or is she fucking with me? (laughs) No, no, no. I'm sure that's something. I have a really bad memory. Also, I also, I am starting to remember that now. <laughs> but like, I I had so many people. Okay, because we borrowed people for so many tours. 
I can't tell you the, mom, the amount of times I would turn to somebody and be like, hey, remember this happening at this tour? And they were like, I wasn't there. That wasn't the thing that was. <laughs> so, yeah, I do remember, I remember that. Yeah, that was really fun. That was like, that was in the world and world this was like really, 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 you know, blowing up. Yeah. Um, and um, Nicole played guitar. Let's see, Steve played drums and Josh played bass. So I had, and in fact, Steve and, uh, or um, Josh and Steve, I borrowed like a bunch of times um, to play with, with us. Um, so that was like a really cool, because every, every time you would tour with different people, as you can imagine, Empire kind of had like a different sound. Right. You know what I mean? Because like, and I was right. not like, obviously like, if it was like somebody in my permanent band, I'd be like, I'd, I guess prefer that you play the most of the record that you could, because that's what people expect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, here and there but like when you're borrowing people all the time a lot of people had like their own takes on it and since they were doing a favor for me I was always like cool with whatever their interpretation was and it was really interesting to see um, that version I think was like a really powerful version um, like they would say like heavy handed but like in a really cool way you know what I mean um, yeah that was fun that was, that was a long that was a long fun tour <laughs> it's crazy to think about that I just remember because also on that tour, our album was being mixed. It was supposed to be mixed earlier. Our second album was being mixed. And I just remember, like, the guy who was mixing it, um, Chris Common was his name. He was, like, the drummer in These Arms Are Snakes. If you remember that band? Mm-hmm. Anyway, he had mixed our first album. And so we really liked what he did for our first album. And so he was mixing our se- second album. But he had a series of, I don't know what had happened, but the album had been pushed back when he was going to mix it. And unfortunately, when he started mixing it, I was in Europe. So I just remember like staying up and it was like a real like limited window that you had to do it. So I remember staying up really, really, really late mixing edits and stuff like that. And like, I think it takes a while when you hear something to like really let it sit. So right. I was making all these like choices and stuff that like I might, I felt like really stressed and rushed on. And I just remember everybody else like going to sleep and being like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing for the next X amount of hours. <laughs> no so. drive insane. So it, you know, it turned out it turned out good, but like, yeah, it was really really stressful, you know. So, what MTV show were you guys on? Sixteen and pregnant, fourteen Six. mom. I actually don't remember which one it was. Are you taking really back good. from that? Are you living off that? <laughs> I wish. Yes, I'm living <laughs> off that. We, I mean, we made a a decent amount. If you can ever get like your song streamed on a, uh, on a program. I mean, yeah, I still like, so we have ASCAP um, and it is a direct deposit now and I'll just randomly have like, and I don't know if it's necessarily from that, but like randomly they'll be like, oh, here's 60 bucks for some reason or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. I don't know what that came from. But, um, also, we were on this, um, they were on this other show called If You Really Knew, knew Me. You're, you guys probably don't remember that. And I would no. definitely not remember it if it weren't for, um, you know, being on it. But um, it was like this like really... It was that, that during that time where MTV was doing a bunch of like reality TV, um, but like really like teen based reality TV. And it was this show where like they would have these life coaches go to high schools and be like, um, like letting people like a jock know that like a nerd's life is tough and a nerd would learn a jock's life is tough <laughs> and all their lives are really hard and et cetera. And it had like, they, it's like gruff dudes like giving this like really like 
um, like emotional speech and our music is in the background. <laughs> I was like, damn it, do it. <laughs> yeah, that was really weird. Actually, the way that came together is we had our first album was streaming on Punk News. The whole album was streaming on Punk News. It was like, you know, like an exclusive that they had. And um, a music producer from like, um, from MTV Message, who was like subcontracted through MTV Messaged us. And at first I was like, this is, this is bullshit. This is something like spam or whatever. And like, it just sat there in our inbox for like, I don't know, couple, at least a month or something. And I was like, well, you know what? I might as well like respond to this. And then it ended up being like a pretty surreal and cool experience. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird. It's still really weird that that happened. I feel like I need to see it. I don't know if I ever will. It's probably lost in the archives now. Um, if you're talking about the If You Really Knew Me, uh, I'm sure that you can find it very cheap in the secondhand market if it exists. I don't know if they ever made like a physical version of it. But um, but yeah, it was just like, I just remember people, I also remember really worrying about people thinking like we like sold out <laughs> having a music in that. I remember being like really like conscious of like, oh, should we do this? But now I'm like this. And that was cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> cool. <laughs> if you get like five bucks in the mail in the next few months, you'll know that I found it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Especially, like, here's something that, like, I mean, they, the song was in the episode for, like, I don't know, 10 seconds. And and, 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 and if you really knew me, it was, like, maybe 20 seconds. Right? So it was not, like, a long period of time. And they didn't even put our name. You know how, like, on, okay, I'm not sure if you would know this, but, like, on Teen Mom or. Or in the they, bottom. Yeah, they put your name on the bottom of it. They didn't even do that for ours. So, like, we were on it, but. You know, it was no, there was no credit given. So, I also remember telling people like, "Hey, this is the episode that we're going to to be in," and then it ended up not being in an episode. Yeah, and like, then it was like everyone was like mad at us. <laughs> they made us watch episode. multiple episodes of Teen Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was? How did you guys uh, hook up with Top Shelf then? Just from touring and playing shows? Or... Yeah, um, you know, they started. They started the record label around the same time that we started the li- our label, and you know we just kind of knew each other for a long time. Actually, they had even heard us on um, uh, when our um, Year of the Rabbit seven inch came out. So like they were definitely aware of us for that was like when they had just started too. <clears throat> um, we I don't know we just met playing because um, they're in Boston. We I don't I don't actually remember. Do you remember Kathy how we actually met them? Yeah probably just like a show or something but i don't know like especially back in early days and i still feel this way now and i don't know how other people feel but like we were really supportive so it wasn't like a competition you know even though we were we were record labels and we were technically vying for the same bands um i don't know we just became really good friends and we put on a bunch of like south by shows together you know we did the co-release of our last album with them we did an exclusive seven inch with them called On Time Spent Waiting, placing the weight of the world on the shoulders of those we love the most. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> muscle memory, baby. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just love what they do. And I, I think it's cool. I, I love that they're still label and, and you know, still doing stuff. So, so they, you did the co release with them. How did the graphic novel part of that kind of come together? Um, so, in the early Empire Empire era, I was. We were playing a bunch of Michigan shows and not touring, and I was like, ah, nothing's happening. I should go to grad school. So I went to grad school <laughs> to be a librarian, um, and I took a class on building a collection, and part of the, the collection development was on um, graphic novels. 
And I just really, really got into them and loved them. And then I just had the idea that because at that time, especially we were writing like really, I was writing like really, really literal um, stories of things that happened to me that it would just be really cool to um, turn it to a graphic novel. And then uh, my friend Ben Sears, who was in Mountain of Sleep and just a bunch of, he ended up being Xerxes later and a bunch of really cool um, bands. He, he did like amazing art and he was starting to do that kind of art. And so we asked him if he'd be interested in doing it. Um, and he was down. And so I sent him, um, I did a lot of like really heavy research. You know how when you retell a story, maybe you've heard this before, but like every single time that you retell a story, it's like every single time you access a memory, if you've accessed it before, or you've talked about it, it becomes less true every time. So something that you haven't thought of, like that bananas thing, I haven't thought about that in like, I don't know, five years or whatever it was, right? So that was a more fresh memory than something that happened that I, you know, reaccess a bunch of times. So I wanted to make sure it was as accurate as possible, all those stories. And so I actually, as much as I could, I like fact checked all those songs. So I would call all the people when I was writing the songs and have them explain their side of this, of what had happened in um, their story and what they remembered from the era and like make notes. And then we would talk about it and sometimes remember things or whatever. But anyway, I, I found pictures from that era, uh, all, the, all the different eras that the songs were written in. And pictures, I took like pictures of the places um, that were mentioned in it and sent like this huge packet to Ben of like, here, here are the things that you can base, you know, the pictures off. So like the pictures of Kathy and Ribbon, like the first song on the album, like that's what she looked like when we got married. And that's what I looked like when I got married. So it's stuff like that, you know, obviously reinterpreted by Ben you know, graphic novel form, but like he had all of that information. So even like the the van that is in the, one of the songs, whatever, that's like, I sent him a picture of that model of that van, our actual van from that time period. So yeah, and he just, you know, he did a bunch of pages for it and we turned it to a graphic novel. So it was awesome. Do you think he like got that pack and it was just like, what the fuck did I get myself <laughs> in? <laughs> I think it definitely was more like, what the fuck did I get myself into? Because that's one of those things where like it seems like it's going to be a lot less work than it ends up being right you know what i mean so like it took a long time for him to finish that and understandably you know and then i think i remember like even giving him a little bit extra money and paying him um and like begging him to do like like one of the songs was like one pages and i really want it to be two pages like this like really big image and then i was like please can you do this extra page but he already spent so much time on it he ended up doing it and it's actually one of my favorite pages in the whole book it's the um the the song called foxfire it's about me being becoming an atheist and it has this like picture of me like at the apartment complex that i had lived in which by the way i had sent him pictures of that so it looks very much like that apartment complex it was called twickingham um anyway it's just, like this really like big shot of like me just like on the the, the porch or whatever staring out at like you know the imagery in it that was like the last thing he did but it turned out really well so yeah it was awesome i i that was one of my favorite things that i never did as a band but now we have a zillion of them sitting on our show <laughs> because at that point like we were like we're gonna really gear up and like become a band so i like made act like a lot of them because i was like we're gonna be on tour all the time we're gonna have these all the time or whatever and then we broke up so <laughs> well what was the decision like to end empire empire 
since through most of it, it was you. Right, right. I mean, everybody was always like, why would you break up if you keep doing it forever? But um, so at that point, for a couple years, Kathy had been like really tired of touring. And we also were, we had a lot more riding on our very limited finances because we were doing record label too. And mostly that was a money pit, you know, for the most of the period that it existed as a money pit. Um, so Kathy was a combination of needing money for the record label and just like normal everyday expenses and also her not liking touring as much at that point. She started, she like took a full-time job and just started doing that. And then our various members quit or whatever. And then I started borrowing people. But just like the process of like borrowing people for a tour, getting really tight on that tour and then like, having to get a whole new band for the next tour. It was just like a lot of work. And I hated like having to relearn my own songs. Like I knew how to play it, but every course the people I was borrowing didn't know how to play it. And we just never sounded like as tight as we could because we were borrowing people. So, you know, when I started borrowing repeat people, it definitely made it easier that like click back in, but it just got to be, it just got to be too much at some point. And it was just like super burned out. In fact, actually, after we were done with, empire and really we also took a hiatus from the label too pretty much and i just like i didn't like listen to music or do anything music related for like years but like we did we anything that we had agreed to do like the colossal reissue came out you know um right. and a, co- a couple other things that came out but that's stuff that had been in the works for years so nothing new had been you know produced in that interim um i and i would tell people <laughs> this is the ridiculous and i'm actually kind of glad i can um have this recorded somewhere okay so have you seen the movie uh, castaway yeah okay so do you remember this is something that you have to reach real deep in memory bins but do you remember that scene where okay so tom tanks has been rescued and he comes back and then helen hunt you know who was his fiance at the time or whatever and they were gonna get married had like thought he was dead and had finally moved on and had married somebody else. Okay, so yeah. there's a scene where like he had she has his car still and that's the guise in which they go to hang out and he goes and meets with her and they have this like moment where they're like they get in the car and they start like um they start necking, you know. They're making out <laughs> and they're like, let's let's everything felt like frozen in time and like they could do this like let's just do this let's let's be together let's let's do everything and then they have this realization that that life is different now it's not the same and it will never be that way again and that's kind of how i felt about it it was like i really wanted it to be let's see i really wanted it to be um something that it wasn't anymore for me i just and i think there's a danger and doing something, especially artistically, if you no longer believe in it. You know what I mean? Because then it not only does it, it cheapens everything you do going forward and also cheapens everything that you did before. It kind of casts a shadow on stuff because then people start questioning, you know, why you were doing this. I didn't want to go through the motions. And so I was just super burned out. I felt like I wasn't contributing to our family. I felt like I wasn't contributing to... And then when John, our, our, our drummer who had left and come back and nothing came back, um, when he left again, it was just like, this is just too much. It just had hit too much. And then Kathy and I, you know, were thinking about at that point, like starting a family and 
you know, so it just was the right time to walk away. Fuck, so. I think we should break up after this. <laughs> 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 I mean, for me, that I knew it. And like I said, in fact, actually, we knew it. So John had um, quit, and we were supposed to go on this tour to Kembe. And we ended up having to drop that tour. And I still feel really bad about it because you know how we had people fill in for us all the time. But right. I was like really tired of like sounding bad. So Warren, this Warren was playing guitar for this tour. Um, Gooey was playing bass for this tour. And John had originally, when John left, actually, it was the night before we were going to record an EP. So we had written an entire EP. It's to this day the only thing that I ever wrote for Empire that, you know, if you're talking about Justin, about how like a, if you're talking about how like a, you want to have everything on vinyl. Yeah. About, well, that's, I want to have everything we ever wrote be recorded. And this was like one of the only things that we wrote that was never recorded. The night before the studio, uh, we were supposed to go to the studio, John quit. Yeah. So, and I don't even blame him. I think he was just like emotionally, he just like, he was not in a good place at the time or whatever. It totally happened. His mental health is very, very important. And he just wasn't in the right place at the right time. And I don't think he knew how to deal with it. And so we just, so we had to cancel the recording. And they were like, well, are you going to come on a tour with us? But he, at that point, he had quit. He just couldn't, wasn't doing the recording. And then the, 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 we were supposed to record and then a week or two later go on this like multiple week tour with, um, with Dikembe. And he just wasn't getting back to us. And then Dikembe was like, well, we're going to try and find... Uh, we asked all of our normal drummers. At this point, we had a bunch of drummers that played with us. Yeah. Marcus from Dowsing, or, you know, he's in Rap Boys now, and a bunch of other bands and Pet Cemetery, whatever. He played drums for us all the time. He couldn't do it. Stuart from Warren Franklin, he couldn't do it. And from Joa, um, and Steve couldn't do it. So, like, we asked a bunch of people, and they couldn't do it. And I knew we were just going to sound really bad. And we'd have to, we were, they're from Florida. We were meeting them in Florida. And then we were going to go up and around and end, I think, around like Michigan or whatever. So we had a bunch of shows that we were going to play down there. And we would just have to have dropped those shows. And then the drummer that, so they finally found, Stephen from Dikembe found a drummer that could play with us. But he had never really listened to us before. And our songs are not just like meat and potato songs, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of right. parts infused to it, and we wouldn't have been able to like really practice at all with him. We would have sounded really bad on tour. Um, and then on top of that, we were part of that tour was in Canada, and the the drummer didn't have a passport, so we could have either played those shows acoustically, and like, and the drummer would just like I don't know, like stayed, like <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know how it would have worked out. Like it just. The logistics were adding up, and just things were not like working out that well. And so we just made the really difficult the decision to to call it off. It just wasn't going to go well, and think it would have been cobbled together, and we just wouldn't have sounded good. So we ca- we called off then, and we just had this like, it just the air just felt different at that point. Things had been trying, and just not, you know, you know how it is. And things had just like hadn't been working out, and we played a bunch of shows, and people were still not, you know, coming out, and it was just. We just felt like we were in a real, we had plateaued, you know, like we had reached the point that we were reached. And I don't know that we ever would have gotten anywhere. You know, our new album, I think it had like real mixed reviews. Like some people liked it, some people hated it. And I think that also because we had taken so long between our first album and our second album, like we had like 50 something songs to the band. It's not like we had a small discography. 
but we very foolishly had not put together a second full length. And so like in the interim of our first, so when we released our first album, nobody cared about it. That, you know, it had gotten like real like mixed reviews as well. But then something had happened in the interim where that album became like, like a, a big deal, like in our scene, obviously very small scene, but a big deal in that small scene. Um, and I think that because we had waited so long to record a second album, the expectation could never have been met. And we're not the same band anymore that had written that first album. And I think it was a tough, it was a tough sell for people who had not, like if you had listened to us the whole way through, like if you listened to the EPs, the splits and everything, I feel like we had a very logical, um, you know, career as far as like where we evolved as musicians. Um, but if you had just listened to the first album to the second album, I think that was a big disconnect for those people. Right. Um, and some people had a really hard time with like very, my very, very, like when I put out What It Takes, I was very into metaphors. And then when I put out um, You Eventually Forgotten, I was really into very, very, very specific songwriting where like there were not really any metaphors. metaphors. It was exactly, I said exactly what I meant, right? And so I think that <clears throat> that was also a turn off for people who had a hard, who couldn't relate to it. But I was in my 20s and my, the stuff that I was going through was really different than I was when I was in my like early 20s when I wrote What It Takes. You know what I mean? I wasn't like an angry person, uh, emotional person like that anymore. And I wasn't writing songs like that. I was more like writing reflective things. Um, and I, I think that that was a harder, con, con, you know, connection with people. And also because they're very specific songs, I think some people are like, this is like too specific for me to relate to. You know what I mean? Right. So... So what's up? Are you back? <laughs> no, no, we're not. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm doing like so. I'm in the middle of a couple of projects right now, so I I feel really good. You know, like that saying, if you you know if you love something, let it go. You know, and it's, if it comes back, it's meant to be. Yeah. So right. like, I feel really really good about playing music again. And I we started starting Lucky Stars again recently, um, and that's like a gonna be like a my thing again. But like, yeah, I, I mean. I used to be like when we broke up with Empire, I was like, I was like, I'm never do that again. Period, never. And I don't feel like it's hard on that anymore. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I think I remember like, do you remember that band, the Jazz June? Yeah. So when we treated like we were done, and somebody had asked us or whatever, and like, you know, I'm done forever, and they were like, hey, don't say, don't say forever, because you never know. And I was like, whatever, I know. But like, they were right. Like, I don't, I'm not like rushing through the band, but like, I do. I, I don't know. Being sports guys, you know. Um, the Detroit Lions, which that's my hoodie I'm wearing now. Yeah. Um, the Detroit Lions is my far and away my favorite team. I spend way, 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 way too much time reading about them and et cetera, and being like hopelessly, uh, hopelessly a Detroit Lions fan, like hopefully romantic that they're. I'm always like Mr. Blue Kool Aid, thinking they're gonna win next year. <laughs> anyway, um, I made a promise. Um, that if they win the Super Bowl, when, excuse me, when they win the Super Bowl, <laughs> we will reunite. So that's, that's my one stance. I mean, there, I mean, there are other, there are other things that could happen. Like the like death cab was like, Hey, we'll bring you on tour or something. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's fine. We'll do that. You know what I mean? But right. like, it's, it's a pretty, it was a really hard no. And now it's like a softer no, but still no. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. But it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. People, I remember make, making the statement and people being like, 
that dude just angel to the outfield thus. <laughs> <laughs> like that I and like when you think about that, that like that kid that had like a shitty abusive dad who was like just like an asshole like making a flippant remark about the angels <clears throat> winning the pennant or whatever. And it's not like that because like in hundred percent sincerity I am a Lions fan and so I want that to happen. So I have inadvertently I think cursed a bunch of people who don't care about sports to like one of the worst teams in NFL history. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a um a list or a count of all the people that have been Empire Empire? Is that something you have somewhere? I think that when we broke up, we did a definitive list of it. I th- it might even be on like our I think we still have a webpage empireempireband.com I think that it's on there along with like the list of the countries and the, the approximate amount of shows we played but it's a very exhaustive list and there were actually <clears throat> we'd also make a joke because there are some people that played multiple instruments in Empire so like Ben from Annabelle played guitar and bass I can't remember there's a bunch of different people that played like different you know Warren played drum, guitar and bass as well you know I think there are some people that Andy from Annabelle played drums and bass so we had some people that were like some pretty exclusive <laughs> members. Yeah, it was a very large and exhaustive list. Yeah. Well, I feel like we'd probably be on here for like another three hours if I actually asked you the entire list I had. I I can wrap it fire. I'm ready. But I think I think we should do a second part to this at some point because there it feels it seems like there's like a hundred billion more stories <laughs> that we could go over. Yeah. But I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna cut this down <laughs> with our awkward, uh, with our awkward uh, pauses. pauses. <laughs> you know, instead of that, I feel like you should you should add more awkward pauses. <laughs> oh my! God. Oh, I'm already like nervous enough to let like while I'm post about them, my mom be like, I listen to you. <laughs> but, I keep thinking that you can tell it's our first podcast because I keep nodding and like shaking my head in response to things it's like oh that doesn't work at all it feels pretty good to me uh, yeah. a podcast recording veteran yeah i say that I... With a, as a complete joke i've only done a very small amount of episodes of anything so it sounds good though you guys are doing great That's yeah, shit, that was great i mean i don't think we could have asked for like a a better first one to get us started well, i really appreciate you asking me yeah if you want to do part two i'm definitely down yeah i I probably had like 10 other things, but I, I feel like if I don't stop us now, we're going to keep going. Well, I really, really appreciate you guys thinking of me for this. Yeah, of course. Doing it, man. Yeah, I, you know, I, I loved, uh, I always loved when we got together and, and I felt a real kinship with you guys too. So it's, it's cool because it's weird that we're the older people now, right? Yeah. <laughs> we were, we were thinking about you recently because uh, we had that tour with Placeholder probably where we had like eight years steven it pops in our facebook memories every single year oh yeah, yeah where yeah. the the van died and we drove only to michigan to play with you guys and then drove home and they <laughs> continued the tour and that comes up like every year and i'm like son of a bitch yeah, <laughs> yeah. probably the thing that you did back in the day that you like, why did i do that yeah drove all the way to flint right steven yep, yep. is yep. it flint yeah yep. that's why it's so hard to be in a band now I can't I dumb shit like that anymore. I can't, I can't justify <laughs> yeah. leaving and yeah. going to Michigan. <laughs> that tour canceled, but Josh and I didn't tell our jobs, so we just sat in my house playing Wii and drinking coffee for like two weeks. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. I'd love that kind of time now. Well, thanks, like, Keith. Have a good night. Yeah, thanks again. I'll talk yeah, to you but... All right, take care. Bye. Yep.
so that's pretty cool for first interview. I think uh, now before we close it out, we're going to go into a new segment that's hopefully recurring. TJ is going to start off with what gripes me. All right, guys, you know what gripes me? Apparently, it's not cool if you want to take all the quarters that people leave in carts at Aldi. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait, that's. All right, this segment is going to be that you say a gripe and that we discuss how it's ridiculous. <laughs> so you stealing all the quarters out of the carts at Aldi. For those not aware, Aldi is a, I believe, regional grocery chain where in order to get a grocery cart, you have to put a quarter in it and then you get it back when you return said cart. From my understanding, a lot of city grocery stores do it so they don't, like people don't steal their carts. As yeah, well. they don't have to go get carts, yeah. It makes sense. You so people are leaving their quarters in and you're going around stealing them, like fishing your fingers in the gumball machines, looking for extra change. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, like it's, it's a thing where if you're taking your cart off and somebody needs a cart, you'll give them your cart and they'll give you a quarter for it. I'm not trying to take other people's quarters. If somebody leaves their cart where all the other carts are and they leave their quarter in it, I'm taking that quarter. Sounds a whole lot like you're uh, fishing into a wishing well here, bud. No, it's different than that. <laughs> So what, what hat did someone like confront you? Just my wife. <laughs> What'd she say? She, she said it's not right to be stealing quarters out of the carts at all. And I is said, it... why not? You're not going to make a million dollars by doing nothing. So this is my side hustle. <laughs> now, is it really stealing if it's like, what's the difference between a quarter left in a cart in the thing and a quarter left on the sidewalk? That's exactly what I said her earlier today. Did he? Well, yeah. No. All right. All right. The quarters I'm left in the carts. No, the quarters left in the cart are left there with intention. It's like it's like leaving some time on your meter when your car pulls away. You're doing it with you the intention. You can't to help prove intention. Yeah, you can't no. prove intent. And not only that, but not only like we have experience, Justin, you and I specifically with throwing away change. You specifically have experience with throwing away change. All right, listening public. When we played in the band Reservoir, which we still do, I don't know why I keep using the past tense, I do. but we did a Canadian tour, and at a bank on the U.S. side, when coming back from the Canadian tour, Stephen tried to change in all his money, and the woman at the bank said, we don't change back pennies. So you know what Stephen does? Walks out the door of the bank, looks at a handful of pennies, and goes, these are literally worthless, and throws them <laughs> in the trash. <laughs> Sounds about right. The same size and shape as American pennies. You could have passed those off on any unwitting cashier at a giant or something. But I throw those pennies away too. I think they're necessary. For what? Okay. If hold on, if pennies were necessary, would Aldi not let have you put pennies in their cards instead of quarters? No, because nobody gives a shit about a penny. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah, but. You're going to give change with all dimes, everything's in increment, or uh, all nickels, everything's in increments of five now? Yeah. You're like a penny slot that you roll up and you're like, oh, cool, a penny slot, but the minimum bid is like 15 cents. You're bullshit, bud. You know what? That's something I never thought about. I'm all for getting rid of the pennies, but then what about the penny slots? What about the penny slots? All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Check us out next Monday and every Monday at Two Beats Off Podcast. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. In the night, in my dreams, I'm in love with you. Cause you talk to me like lovers do.